Welcome to the Tingo Investing Podcast, where we teach you how to make a better investment and retirement portfolio. Our goal is to explain everything from basic to advanced concepts in plain language that you can understand, whether you are a beginning investor or a professional. This is the pilot episode of a podcast series I call How to Create the Best Investment and Retirement Portfolio. So I'm starting this podcast to my friends, family, and the general public who ask me all the time how they can improve their portfolios and if I can give them any advice on their retirement portfolios. Now, in this podcast, I explain complex topics in very simple, plain language that anyone can understand. So this episode of Tingo Investing, we're going to talk a lot about diversification and how do we diversify our investments and the way we do it. So to start, there are two underused metrics that can really help us with our goal of diversification. They are correlation and beta. And whether you are a short-term investor, long-term investor, a short-term trader, and even like a high-frequency trader, uh, correlation and beta are actually incredibly important. And so if you think that you already know what they are, get ready because we're going to put some funky twists on it. And if you have no idea what they are, that's perfect because we're going to explain what they are and then we're going to get a little funky. And not many people know this, but this topic actually hits home for me. Um, You know, when I first started on Wall Street, I actually started trading correlation. And when I first went to Wall Street, I had no idea you could trade something like correlation. I'm like, isn't correlation just a statistic? Doesn't it just explain how things move together? How do you trade that? And it turns out you can. I I won't get into the nitty gritty of it um, unless you want to. And and then just shoot me an email at rishi at tingo.com. That's tingo with two eyes. Anyway, so... Back to our topic of diversification. Everyone tells you you should diversify your portfolio. It's investing 101. Anytime you tell a friend you're going to start investing, I find they always tell you one of three things. They either give you a stock tip, they tell you how much money they've made or lost, and then they tell you how to diversify your portfolio or that you should diversify your portfolio. Um, So many of us have thought about diversification. A lot of us know we should do it, but We think of diversification as buying many different funds, many different stocks, ETFs, anything you can name it, maybe commodities, gold. To us, that's diversification. But the key to diversification is not just having all of those. The key to diversification is understanding how those move together, how mutual funds, ETFs, gold, commodities, stocks all move together. If you can understand how they move together, then you know you can diversify. Because diversification is putting yourself in many different assets that don't move together. So how do we figure out if something moves together? And that's where correlation and beta are very handy. So these two metrics tell us the risks involved in our portfolios. So first, we're going to cover what they are, why they're important, how to use them, and also the dangers of misusing them. And if you think that professionals are above misusing them, or if you think professionals constantly think about this, well, 2008 tells you a different story. And to be fair, um, a lot of professionals have trouble with correlation because of a few structural reasons we'll get into later. So anyway, to begin, let's start with a few quotes stressing about how correlation has changed from 2008. Now, correlation is an important topic, especially during recessions, but also during the good times as well. But since 2008 was pretty recent in our memory and shows what can happen unexpectedly to correlation, we're just going to focus on 08 for a little bit. So I'm going to read a couple quotes, and if they don't make sense to you, that's perfectly okay, 
because the point of this podcast is so by the end of it, they'll make perfect sense to you. So the first one is from an editor called McBride from Forbes. Investors who increased allocations to international stocks, emerging markets, real estate, hedge funds, high-yield bonds, and natural resources during the previous decade did so at least partly because these investments' correlations to U.S. stocks and to each other had been low in the past. Unfortunately, the correlations increased significantly in recent years. As a result, an expected reduction in risk did not not occur, and in 2008, the bear market investors suffered much larger losses than expected. So what this quote is telling us is that People got into all sorts of different assets, whether it was real estate, commodities like gold, um, stocks, because they thought that it would protect them. They thought they were diversifying. But what people didn't anticipate is that correlation can change throughout time. You know, a lot of people think stocks and bonds are uncorrelated, that bonds will protect you in the bad times and stocks will make you rich in the good times. Now, that's actually only sometimes true. Now, while it is true that bonds generally protect you during the bad times, when you look at the moments of panic, when you look at the worst of worst of times in markets, you actually find that stocks and bonds move in the same direction. But during times of crisis, like in 2008, everything moves together because everybody is selling. So the next quote is from a uh, Morningstar alternative investment analyst, and It's talking about market neutral managers, and this is by Josh Charney, and we're going to explain what market neutral is um, as time goes on in case you don't know what it is. So equity market neutral strategies tended to do well when stocks are not highly correlated to each other. Since 2008, stocks have shown increasing correlation among and across sectors and geographies, causing many equity market neutral managers to struggle. What this means is that since 2008, stocks have correlated with each other. They tend to move along with each other. And this is making it very difficult for people who are trying to create balanced and diverse and sort of risk-balanced portfolios because they're finding that if you're in two stocks and they move the same, you're actually only in one stock. If two stocks are pretty much 95% correlated, then you're pretty much only in one stock. You can, you know, it's um, in terms of movement. So as you can see, this has become a hot topic from 2008, and it's been a hot topic really after every recession, but in our current generation since 2008. But even though it's been such a hot topic, there hasn't been much out there that actually explain how to use correlation and beta in our portfolios and tools that show us what they are in our portfolio. Now, I've developed some on Tingo, and I've made it free to the public, and I've made them institutional quality, like what the professionals have. But I also want to explain how to use them and how to use them in the proper way. Now, even if you're a professional, we're going to get into some more advanced topics later on that might twist your view on how to use correlation in beta. And I think this will really be beneficial to anyone who invests, even if you're a trader. Because if you're a trader, you want to have a portfolio of assets and a portfolio of trades that are uncorrelated with each other. And we'll explain why in a moment. But before we do, let's go on to our next topic. What is correlation and beta, and how are they even different? So correlation measures the strength of how two stocks, or really I guess any data series, move together. Correlation can be a number between negative 1 and 1, or you may hear it in percent terms, like negative 100% to 100%. So when you see negative 1, it means the stocks are perfectly negatively correlated. 
And that means they move in opposite directions. And if you see one, it means they are perfectly correlated, which means they move in the same direction. And zero means no correlation or that the data doesn't have any relation to each other. Now notice how I said correlation measures the strength of how the relationship moves, but it doesn't actually tell you about the relationship. In other words, correlation can't tell you how much something moves relative to another, but whether and in what direction two things move together. For example, if Apple moves 5% today and 10% tomorrow, and Google moves 10% today and 20% tomorrow, they have a correlation of one. Correlation is telling us that they are strongly related in movement. But if you only knew Apple moved 5% today, you wouldn't know and you didn't know how much Google moved. Correlation couldn't tell you Google moved 10%. It just tells you that their movements are related. For example, today Apple moved 5% and then to the next day, tomorrow, it moved twice as much as it did yesterday. So the second day it moved twice as much and moved 10%. And correlation is telling you that if Google moved 10% today, that it would also double the next day. It would move 20% tomorrow. That's what correlation is. Now, if Apple moved, just to reiterate, 5% today and 10% tomorrow, and Google moved 15% today and 30% tomorrow, they would still have a correlation of one because Apple doubled in return the next day and Google did the same thing. So correlation doesn't tell us how much Google moves when Apple moves 5%. Just that if Apple moves twice as much as it did yesterday, Google will also move twice as much as it did yesterday. Then the question is, is well, how can we tell, what can tell us how much something moves? And that's where beta comes in. So whereas correlation tells us the strength of how two stocks are related, beta tells us much more about the relationship. Beta tells us both the direction and how the direction two stocks move in and by how much. For example, we had just said that if Apple moved 5% today and 10% tomorrow, Google would move 10% today and 20% tomorrow if they had a correlation of one. So we can say that Google has a beta of two to Apple. For every 1% move in Apple, Google will move 2%. So to figure out Google's move, we take Apple's move of 5% and multiply it by the beta, which is two. So that gives 10% for Google. In other words, Google moves twice as, much, as high as Apple does. It has a beta of two. Now, generally, beta is gonna be a much more commonly reported metric on many websites, but usually it just says beta. And so you may be wondering, well, what does Apple move in rel like If the beta is two, what moves 1% that causes Apple to move 2%? If Apple has a beta of two on, let's say you're looking at another website that reports beta, they're typically saying it in relative to the S to the S&P. So if the S&P moves 1% and it says beta has a an Apple has a beta of 2, that means Apple would move 2% when the S&P moved 1%. Now if Apple it says Apple has a beta of 1, that means that if the S&P moved 1%, Apple moved 1%. Now we're going to explain why the S&P isn't actually good enough and why it doesn't tell you the whole picture. You want to compare the beta of a stock to more than just the S&P. For example, you may want to know how Apple moves relative to the tech sector. And in that case, you want to calculate beta across like ETF, an ETF, something like XLK, which is an, a portfolio of tech companies. It's an ETF of tech companies. So while the broad market can tell you important information, 
When you're drilling down and when you want to find out more information, you may want to narrow your focus. And we're going to explain why that's important in a few moments, but it's also important to understand the limits of beta, and we'll get into that as well. So in the next section, we're going to talk about why these metrics are important. And before we move on, if you don't have a grasp of what beta and correlation are yet, that's okay, because we're going to repeat these descriptions, we're going to talk about examples, and by the end of it, I promise you will understand the basics. So why are these metrics so important? Well, these metrics are important because they are diversification. Everyone wants to diversify their portfolios, and beta and correlation are ways to measure that. So as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, every investor wants to diversify their portfolio. But if we ask ourselves, what's the point of diversification? We find that the reason for diversification is that we can't predict the future. So let's say we could predict the future. Let's say we knew a stock like Coca-Cola would return 10% every year, no matter what. What would you do? The logical thing would be to sell your house, put all the money you have, and put it into Coke. There'd be no point in needing diversification. Uh, let me correct that, Coca-Cola. There'd be no point in needing diversification because you know the return you would get every year. But the reality is, is that we don't know how much a stock or asset will give us each year. We live in this world of uncertainty. Now at the same time, we generally know how things will react. For example, usually, but not always, Bonds will perform better than stocks in times of recessions. But at the same time, bonds still give us a return in the good times as well. Now because of this, they tend not to be as correlated as stocks. In other words, they tend not to move in the same directions as stocks all of the time. In addition, as we said, bonds can return in bad times and good times. But because of this, they have a lower beta to stocks. This means that they tend to give us lower returns than stocks in good times. And they give us higher returns than stocks in bad times. So we can see bonds generally have a more stable return profile, and so they have a lower reward because they're typically associated as lower risk. And this is what correlation and beta are telling us. They're giving us ways to measure how different or how similar stocks and bonds move together. So the key to creating a diverse portfolio is not having many different stocks, bonds, ETFs, commodities, etc. The key to creating a diverse portfolio is having many different assets that are uncorrelated to each other, but are also positive expected value. Now, you're probably saying, hold up, Rishi, what does positive expected value mean? Well, positive expected value, or positive EV, means that you expect the asset, a stock or mutual fund in this case, to make you money. It's the reason we invest in things, because we expect that they will return us more money than we're putting in. We assume that they have positive expected value. We can't guarantee it because that's what uncertainty is and markets are uncertain, but you wouldn't put money in something you expected to lose you money, or really you shouldn't. But many of you think professionals have mastered this technique of combining portfolio and beta, but if you look at any major financial crisis, as we talked about in the earlier quotes, it brought down many banks and hedge funds. These people are supposed to be the most intelligent and well-versed investors. And actually, to be honest, a lot of them actually do understand correlation and do diversify their risk. But the problem is that many of us make, including professionals, is that we underestimate how correlated assets can get in recessions and downturns. And actually, sometimes it's not that intuitive, which I'm about to explain. So like we were talking about earlier, let's take 2008, for example. We started the quote describing how correlation among stocks increased rapidly. So if you are a utility company and... 
you were compared to the S&P. It went from a low correlation in good times to an incredibly high correlation during 2008. And this is one of the most important things we can understand about beta and correlation. They are constantly changing. And not only are they changing, but they can change incredibly rapidly in a short amount of time. And this is what caught many of us off guard in 08. So if we want to take a look at why they increase so rapidly, let's take a look at what investors do in extreme cases, in times of panic, in every recession. When you know markets are collapsing and you can look at 08 or you can look at any financial crisis, what happens, we just sell, sell, sell immediately. We don't really care what we're selling. We just want to get out of stocks. We want to get out of bonds. We just want to be in things like cash. Some of us want to be in gold because we just worry. We worry, well, what if all of this goes away? What if we lose all this money? It's better to get out now than get out at the bottom. So not all of us constantly sell, but many of us do. And what you find is in times of panic, correlation can go from somewhere around 20% to 80% or higher. So those 20 stocks you bought, you thought were diversified. Maybe you bought some utilities, tech, you bought some oil companies, maybe you got Exxon, you know, you got um, Microsoft, you got like, you thought you got very stable, what people call blue chip companies, big companies. But now they're all actually moving in the exact same direction. You thought you bought 20 stocks, but really the way they're moving, it's like you only bought four. And it's not just stocks, but even stocks and bonds. So during panic sell-offs, the correlation of stocks and bonds also become really elevated. For example, the S&P and long-term U.S. Treasuries. Now, a lot of people consider U.S. Treasuries some of the safest bonds in the world. So if you're looking at the S&P, which is the broad market, and the long-term U.S. Treasuries, and you're looking at the weekly correlation, it went from a negative correlation of 30%, meaning they moved in opposite directions, so bonds did protect you, to a positive 70% in two months during 2008. In other words, we think bonds protect us in the bad times, which they did in 2006. But when the bad times actually happened, they moved in the exact same direction as stocks. So you thought you were diversified, you thought you were, but not at all. And not only this, sometimes correlation moves can be really unintuitive. I actually started, trading correlation a while ago, and what I remember was in 2011, the market sold off about 16% in 2011 because there was a Eurozone crisis. It led to a lot of panic selling because people worried Greece would leave the Eurozone and then a ton of other countries would leave the Eurozone, and Europe, as we know, it would be drastically changed. And this created a lot of uncertainty and panic, so people sold, sold off. And then what happened to the S&P is it sold off approximately 16%. Now, would you believe that the correlation in 2011 among U.S. stocks was higher than in 2008? So a 16% sell-off led to a higher correlation among stocks in the S&P than did a sell-off of greater than 50% in 2008. So even though markets sold off 50% in 2008, correlations were still higher in 2011. How crazy is that? So it's not just good enough to look at one time period, one recession, and be like, this is how correlations moved. Every recession has been different, and every sell-off is different. So it's important to keep an open mind. Now, you may be feeling a little overwhelmed. Well, if we can't predict any of this, well, then what's the point of all this? And if we accept, if we take a moment right now and accept the uncertainty of markets, we can prepare ourselves much better. Now, we have to accept we won't be 100%, and that's okay. 
But what we can do is we can position ourselves defensively and we can decide when to position ourselves aggressively and we can actually really help our portfolio that way. So our next section, we're going to talk about how to actually calculate beta and correlation. We're going to take a little moment and get a little bit technical about what we're trying to do. So we're going to discuss different ways to calculate correlation and beta and understand I am going to use, a, I want to make a disclaimer, I am going to use my website Tingo uh, for part of this, T-I-I-N-G-O.com with two, Tingo with two eyes. And the reason for this is I made these tools free to the public because I couldn't find anything to help others. Now, I used to be a professional trader and uh, programmer, a quantitative trader. And so when I left, I found out there weren't any tools out there. So I wanted to create tools and they are free. They are for the public because I realized, I realized as I was talking to my friends, family who wanted help, that they actually really needed these tools. So I'm plugging my site, not because I want to sell you stuff. I'm actually plugging it because I created these tools for everyone so they could use it. So to calculate, to begin, to calculate correlation in beta, um, the idea is, is that you have to get the returns. You can't use prices. And there is a mathematical reason for this. And not only are you, do you want to calculate returns, you're going to call, calculate something called log returns. So if you open up Excel, if you have two columns, let's say the prices of two stocks, you want to calculate their returns. So what you're going to do is, for the log returns, there's an Excel function called LN. So you can do LN, open parentheses, today divided by yesterday's price, and that'll give you the log return. Now a simple return is calculating today's price divided by yesterday's price minus one. But for mathematical reasons, when you're calculating correlation and beta, you're going to do, be doing it across the, the log returns. And there is an Excel function called Corel, C-O-R-R-E-L, and you just put in the first argument, the first series of returns, and then the second, and it will give you the typical correlation people use. Now, you can do this, but the question is, is well, when you're looking at correlation, you have to consider the time frame or how rapidly you want it. For example, you could use daily returns, like today divided by yesterday, or you can use weekly returns, like today divided by last week. And when you're calculating correlation and beta on weekly terms, it's less noisy. So when you're using daily returns, it can get very noisy because things can move a lot during the day. But as you go back to weekly and monthly, you're taking a step back and you're looking at a much broader picture. So, but because you're doing this, it's less quick to react. So there are trade-offs. Now, typically I like to calculate correlation on a weekly basis because it's stable enough, but also reacts quick enough to market changes. And so it's hard to do this in Excel and no other site offers this, which is why I created it. And in addition, um, you also wanna look at different time periods. As we mentioned, correlation is constantly changing. Correlation today from 2015, let's say 2013 to 2015, is going to be much different than it was in, let's say, 2007 to 2009. And the reason for this is because we're no longer in a time of panic. We've been in a bull market. Markets have moved. And typically, when markets move up, correlations decrease. So you want to calculate correlation on the good times and the bad to understand how the correlations are going to shift, how your diversification is going to shift. And I created on Tingo.com, if T-I-I-N-G-O.com, if you type in a ticker and you click on the command bar on the top right, you can choose beta and correlation and I'll help you with that. And beta is in the same way. You can have 
weekly, monthly, annual, uh, weekly, monthly, daily. And you can also choose different time periods. And because beta also changes, because you know, correlation also changes, they both change, you want to look at the beta from different time periods. And you know, there are other sites to look at beta, uh, Yahoo Finance, Google. And if you look at their methodology, you kind of have to dig around to find it. They typically use weekly data, and they also go back two or three years. But the problem with this is that you can only see one data point computed on the past two or three years worth of data. You can't see what happened in the bad times. You can't choose it. And that's why I created these tools on Tingo, so you can actually figure this out. And like I said, I created these tools just so people can have a better understanding and hopefully the world can be better off. But since we discussed a little bit of the shortcomings of Yahoo Finance or Google Finance, and maybe you don't want to use Tingo either, let's talk about how you would calculate beta in an Excel spreadsheet. So for beta, we're going to use a function called COVAR. That's C-O-V-A-R, stands for covariance. And take the, you have, take the two columns of log returns we use to calculate correlation. And for the first argument of COVAR, you're going to pass, in this case, let's in our previous examples, let's say Google. And the second one you're going to put, second argument will be the Apple returns. Now what this is saying is it's saying what are the returns, what's the beta of Google relative to Apple? So if Apple moves 1%, what does Google do? So you're going to take this COVAR function and you're going to divide it by a Excel function called VAR or variance. And that's going to be VAR, open parentheses. And then here you're going to put the Apple returns. So this calculation will tell you how much Google moves when Apple moves 1%. This is the beta. It's the covariance of the returns of Google, comma, the returns of um, Apple divided by the variance of Apple. Now typically instead of Apple, it's usually the S&P. Um, for example, the stock ticker for an S&P ETF could be SPY, SPY. And this is the value to the beta to the uh, SPY or SPY or the S&P that you often see on financial websites. But in a few moments we're going to discuss why just comparing the beta to the S&P isn't always good enough. And so I strongly urge you to consider using my tools to look at beta on many different time frames and correlation. In addition, I offer something called portfolio analytics. And by this, if you go on tingo.com, you click portfolio at the top, you can type in your portfolio and you can see if you click on, and then if you go in the top right, go to correlation, you can actually run the correlation of your entire portfolio across an asset. So you can look at your portfolio as one unit and see how your portfolio would correlate to the S&P, maybe XLK, XLE, which is an energy ETF. And you can also run the beta, do the same calcs. In addition, there's something called asset correlation, and it'll show you a grid showing you the correlations among all the stocks in your portfolio. Let's say you have Apple, Google, and Twitter in your portfolio. It'll show you the correlations between Apple, Google, Apple, Twitter, and all the way through. It's a grid. And you can choose the different time periods. And at the top, I made it easier for you all. So you can choose different time periods, different recessions. They're called periods. Or you can create your own. So this is the way I actually do calculate correlation and beta. And I would recommend you do the same because I, there's no other tool out there that does it. But there are ways you can do it in Excel. Now that we've discussed what these metrics are, how to calculate them, how to help them with their, how to help use them to help us with diversification, Let's talk about how we can prevent misusing them. 
So because beta and correlation are always changing, relationship between stocks and this world are always changing, and they change throughout time and they change throughout sectors. Because for example, technology today is becoming a bigger portion of our economy. So we may find that the S&P and technology may actually, the correlation may actually go higher going forward as technology becomes a bigger part of the S&P. At the same time, there can be regime shifts because at different times, certain news moves markets. For example, as oil prices have come down a lot, energy companies, specifically oil companies and natural gas companies, have taken quite a hit. And because they're still a big part of our economy, we may find that the S&P may also come down. So when we're looking at beta and correlation, understand that when we're looking at beta to the S&P, the S&P may be changing for many other reasons too. You have two assets and they both may be going through a shift. So the first point we have to recognize is that beta and correlation can only give us a certain piece of information. Now the usefulness in these measures is that historically cycles often repeat themselves. So if you're looking in the past, what else happened when right now we're our regime as of January or February 2015 is that we're noticing the American economy is booming. International is kind of struggling um, as we see the year as we see the eurozone, as we see um, China and or and Russia and now we're and BRICS countries before BRICS, Brazil. Uh, Russia, India, and China were doing very well, and now we're finding they're sort of coming in, maybe with the exception of India right now. So we have to understand markets go through these regimes, and as we go through these regimes, correlations will shift, beta will shift. But we can look in the past to help give us some guidance. The key, though, is, is that we can't expect with 100% certainty that the past will repeat itself. One example is stocks and bonds are generally less correlated. And that relationship is held true, and we realize the limits of that as we discussed earlier. So when you're looking for stocks to include in your portfolio, consider the idea of looking at stocks that are less correlated to your current portfolio. You can use the tools on Tingo to do it, or you can use Excel. Look at the stocks that are less correlated to portfolio, and if there are two stocks that you think are going to do equally well, but you can't decide which one, think about the correlation and benefit. You want the thing, if you think, Two stocks are going to be up 10% from now, if you make that assumption. Choose the one that's less correlated because it helps with the uncertainty and it helps smooth out your returns of your portfolio. So if all your assets are doing poorly, this asset may be actually doing better and your overall your portfolio is a much more stable portfolio. So that's the way you want to really think about these. And when you're looking at stock selection or mutual fund selection or ETF selection, look at the different time periods of how these have held. Look at the good times, the bad times, 2008, 2011, 2001, 87 if those still existed, um, 91, 92, and even things like 93 where the, where the Fed increased interest rates very rapidly. A lot of people think that may happen today. So create a starting point, look up stocks you're interested in, and then check their correlation to your portfolio and see if they provide any benefit. Though one of the most dangerous things you can do is get in a stock and assume you're diversifying your portfolio. Be like, oh, I'm going to buy these three stocks because they will. I can spread out my investments. But those three stocks may move in the exact same way. And if that's the case, you're really buying one stock and you're buying three times as much as that one stock. And another final point I want to leave you all with is when you're calculating beta and correlation, consider other assets besides the S&P and Dow. Sometimes, if you want tech exposure, let's say you have a tech-heavy portfolio, you have Google, Apple, Microsoft, Twitter. 
And now you want to consider adding another tech company. Maybe it's best if you don't consider the beta to the S&P, but instead you consider the beta to your portfolio, you consider the beta to XLK, which is an ETF representing a lot of tech companies, because that'll actually be more informative to you than just the S&P. While the S&P is good for major market events, sometimes, and generally in good times, the tech sector will go through fluctuations and tech stocks will start to fluctuate and their correlations will fluctuate. Because of that, the S&P may not be the best indicator. Instead, look at XLK. And this could be same, the same could be said with energy companies. Let's say you want to expose, you have three oil companies and you want to consider adding a new one. Well, consider XLE, an energy ETF, and consider looking at the other current stocks in your portfolio, the other energy stocks. Because if you want a new energy company, you want one that's different than the current ones you have. But if it moves extremely similar to the current ones you have, well, then you're not really diversifying. These are just some things to keep in mind. And so if it's not energy, if it's not tech, find a mutual fund, find an ETF that represents a basket of stocks in the sector you're interested in. And like I said, it's another dimension of information and these should all be used together. And finally, I wanna thank you all for listening to this pilot episode. Now, if you really like this, please shoot me an email at rishiatingo.com. That's R-I-S-H-I at T-I-I-N-G-O dot com. Provide me with some feedback, maybe some stuff that made sense, that didn't, or topics you would like to hear more about. And using this guidance, I'm going to help continue this series. Now, I already have a lesson plan or a podcast plan in place, but I'm always open to changing things based on what you want to hear and based on what you want to talk about. So contact me anytime. And if you want to see a tool that I don't have yet that you think would be really helpful for people, let me know and I'll help create it. As all of you know, my goal is to make professional level tools accessible for everyone. Thank you, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts, feedback, and comments.